Venivores, a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt, or haven't hunted, or haven't hunted much, want to learn, or want to learn. Feel that tingling in the back of my neck. You have to be there. You have to be there. You, you don't know it at the time, yeah. you know, but it sticks with you all your life. And you you don't experience those things unless you are a hunter. Okay, welcome back to the new Venivores podcast. Podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt or want to know more about hunting, want to learn how to hunt, are interested in hunting, and it's about fishing too. Recording uh, from North Dakota here, I'm Tony Martinson. This is Adam Miller. We are again in my humble abode, my basement, chilling here at the bar. We've got a little bit of bourbon in our systems, and recently learned this is a World War post World War II neighborhood originally built up for veteran housing, so yeah. that's kind of cool. Uh, I'm noticing a lot of '50s stylings in the neighborhood itself, and that's kind of awesome. Right, I like that time and area and all that. So, uh, we talked. This is episode seven now, and we've talked last time about planning an adventure, right? Adventure what we're going to call an yeah. adventure hunt, and how to go about that and think about that and that sort of stuff. But we also have advised in the past that if this is something that you're interested in and want to do, there are plenty of opportunities in your own home, town, and area to really uh, get yourself out there and doing it. Mm. And that takes a fair bit of planning yeah, as well. Probably the more likeliest scenarios, too, for what you're going to do to start. You right. Know. Because so. you said, I mean, I read a thing from, I think it was Pheasants Forever, that said the average upland game hunter spends 11 days afield every year. Yeah, that's about right. Um, but most of that, if not all of that, in your general hunting season is going to be somewhere that is in your generally localized area. I mean, you're not... I come. I live in Minnesota, and I come out here to go pheasant hunting um, and potentially South Dakota to go pheasant hunting, but that's like a whole one state over. It's not a destination adventure hunt necessarily um so the planning that goes into that we're starting to think about right now or at least i am oh absolutely because it's again uh about mid-june so july yep (laughs) mid-july like i said (laughs) yeah that's that's what it is (laughs) so uh so this is something to really like heavily start thinking about right now because one thing i learned last year is you can say, yep, going hunting this year, but it creeps up on you fast. Right. And it's, you know, it, 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 you know, definitely I start ramping up now, but I kind of... been thinking I'm, about it uh, Yeah, I'm always thinking about, yeah, where we're going to go next, I guess. So yeah. Always keep an eye open for the next opportunity. The next so, season, next all season, that stuff. Right. Yeah. So one thing I'm personally running into, and I've said this before, last year I uh, decided to... Because we're working guys. Like, I have a desk job. You have a... I mean, I'm sure you have a desk. I have a desk. Sometimes <laughs> I see it. Sometimes, yep. you know. It's, yeah. Uh, you, but you travel for work, right? A lot. Yeah, so... so And not... It, any sort of travel, I guess, you know. So it's, it's a lot of overnight. So it's not like I'm going out of state, but it's still, like, yeah. not my home, so... Yeah, and so we're working stiffs, right? 
And so sometimes you got to make decisions about what you're going to do when you have the time to do it, mm-hmm. which helps to have, we live in states, both of us, and in, I live in a larger metro area, but even there it's pretty simple to get to a spot pretty quick where you can do some hunting. Mm-hmm. But you got to make decisions on what you have time for in your life with that stuff. And last year I decided I wanted to come out to the Dakotas here and go pheasant hunting and didn't really put the time into waterfowling mm-hmm. in Minnesota like I should. Um, and <laughs> turns out <laughs> that uh, it was one of the worst years most people can remember for pheasants in the Dakotas last year. <laughs> I literally did not go a single time after pheasants. Yeah. Because it was not worth it to me. Yeah, it wasn't great. <laughs> and that's where I decided to put my time this last year. Right. And it turns out waterfowl is pretty damn good in Minnesota last year. <laughs> and so I made the dead wrong decision. So this year... I want to put some more planning into that because one of the things about that is I know some people around the Dakotas that have land that's historically productive, so we have some permissions, and that makes it easier. And and, and on that, now is the time to get permissions if that is going to be important to your hunting season. Don't go knocking on the day before hunting season starts. Right. Because a lot likely, more likely to hear a no then, because he's heard from every Tom, Dick, and Jane right. for all day, you know, that, hey, can I, you know, come shoot that big giant buck on your land? Yeah. Well, no, actually, because <laughs> it's been spoken forth for quite some time, or, you know, yeah. it, you know, now is that time to build that relationship and, like, talk or, to that person. He's know? been watching that big right. giant buck for five years yeah. turn into a big giant buck, and that's his. He's gonna say so, no, or and uh, so yeah. Don't expect him to like let you at least immediately go shoot that big giant buck. But no, yeah. don't go. You know, bug him like the night before season starts, or if you need to get permission for a property. So. Yeah, and that's one of the things is uh, we have some. I know some people. I have some connections that have permissions and places for pheasants, so it was less work to do that. Yeah, to be honest. Um, and I would have to, I maybe know a person or two closer to my area to go hunting, but I would have to do a lot more scouting and research to mm-hmm. hunt probably public land in my area, at least to get started. Mm-hmm. And that is what I'm trying to get more focus on right now so that I can have a plan when the time starts. But that's what we want to talk about this time around is we've been harping on start local, lots of people... Start local. Lots of people have lots of opportunities a lot closer to you than you think. So uh, go ahead and take advantage of that. But just like we said last time, okay, I want to go do this awesome adventure hunt. How do I go about that? Okay, so I'm going to hunt local. How do I go about that? Right. A lot of, and a lot of the steps are the same. You know, you made... <laughs> You know, what we harped on, and you know, or we'll always harp on is habitat, 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 mm-hmm. you know, and where the habitat is, there's usually critters. Yeah. So, now, for local, you know, this is where it really pays to know, just because you say you have a white-tailed deer, you know, a white-tailed deer in... It was traditionally, you know, a eastern woods deer, mm-hmm. you know, who didn't have a whole lot of them out here on the plains. And yeah. now that is our predominant species because just because the adaptability of the white-tailed deer. For sure. So a white-tailed deer is like one of those things that 
hit the lottery with, you know, compared to other species for basically the the, ju- the population explosion of people on the North American continent. Yeah. You know, a lot of other species did not benefit, or, you know, did not hit that same lottery. Right. You know, the year there was, a, a, you know, bison, elk, moot, you know, all yeah. those things. There was way, way, way more before we were here. And, you know... Making the commodity out of it in a conservation right. standpoint instead of market hunting, you right? Know, right. So, you know, it's... Uh, so habitat can mean different things depending on where you are. But, you know, a lot of things are still going to stay the same. They need cover for um, places to hide, basically, for predators. Me, you, coyotes, bears, uh, wolves, what have you. Yeah. They need food, you know, and they're... Mostly species, you know, some are very opportunistic for they'll go after whatever is convenient, you know, what's in season, I guess. Not all that different than the farmer's market for us, right. you know, and some are very specific what they need to, uh, for their dietary needs. So, uh, a deer is a browser, you know, yeah. you know, so it's, it can be going after the shrubs in your backyard to, acorns out in the deep forest you know so right it's uh and where a great spot to hunt that deer would be in the middle of that where he's traveling through so sure you have to kind of pay attention to what the animals in your area do and so there's oftentimes you know like i said they had the whitetail super adaptable mm-hmm. like in here in bismarck city limits there is a uh, opportunity for whitetail hunt archery only right in city limits you don't have to go anywhere there's one you where know, i lived yeah too. there is a depredation hunt here just because you know there's enough deer living within the town that you know, they are causing human and uh, human deer conflicts which right. uh the unfortunate part about that is uh in, in those conflicts doesn't matter what the animal is the animal always loses well, so if there's not somebody in the extreme cases, not necessarily here, but in other places, I think I'm thinking about uh, California mountain lions. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless, that needs to be managed. Right. And you can have a hunter or an outdoorsman pay for their tags to do it, which goes towards conservation, buy the gear to do it, which mm-hmm. has a tax that hunters and fishermen imposed on themselves to go towards right. conservation. And then you can have them get all the benefits we've talked about up till now from that, or a state-sponsored and employed sharpshooter comes out and does it anyway, and they bury it in the ground. Right. You know, one way or another, yeah, that animal is... It's going to happen. It's going to perish. <laughs> so, yep. Um, you know, but, you know, for instance, like, you know, this spring I was out foraging looking for morels right in town here, and uh, actually didn't find any in this spot, but the entire way through... You know, I was bumping a doe with my have mm-hmm. my whole family out there. We were just pushing her just ahead of us. Where, and she was super calm. You know, she when you say no, bumping a doe, you mean you come up on where she's bedded down or hanging out, and she yeah. jumps up and runs somewhere new, and then you just she didn't even run, man. She just walks. she's used to us. She's yeah. used to people all the time, you know. So she just kind of calmly walked and city deer. Yeah, city deer. And we got to a point where. I knew if I hit like pushed her any further, it was gonna push her onto a busy road, and I was like, yeah. I don't want to see that, you know. So we just mm-hmm. backed out, 
and Fair you enough. know, you know, just so live and learn. And then my wife saw her kind of like last week again, <laughs> right near that road. And I'm just like, no, you know, get away from the road. So yeah, you know, that's one of those type of conflicts that happens. So one way that you know the the city manages that is they have a uh, you know a, an archery hunt right in town that's done on state, you know, basically city public lands. Right. So. Um, so there is opportunity. I mean, you can't get any closer than that. <laughs> you could literally do it at your house. Right. Yeah. Well, not quite. They, they do within want... Within the city. In the city the you city, live in. Yeah, within the city. So, you know, it's in... They have specific areas, you know, because obviously, you know, they can't be having somebody be shooting deer in, like, the most, like, visited public park, you know, right, you know but right. they do it in, like, you know, the... You know, some of these spots, like, I'd participate in the Fargo hunt mm-hmm. uh, uh, when I lived there. And, yeah, I mean, it's right in the middle of town you know yeah. it's through neighborhoods but it's just you know the wooded part of a loop around the river i know they do know? that out east too i forget yeah. the name of the association but there's like urban bow hunters for charity or something like that probably you know and they uh are just bow hunters they get together because there's mm-hmm. big problems out east especially in like the mm-hmm. from what i understand like new hampshire connecticut yep. vermont area where they're so overpopulated that they have lots of run-ins with vehicles and there are bow hunters out there that take them in the city limits and they have to have special permissions and things like that then they donate all that meat to shelters and things like that a lot of it yeah Yeah. you know it's you know that's one way you know you can do your own grocery shopping you know i'm sure but you know me and my family like we can only eat so much a year you know so if you know so you kind of got to weigh that out too so right um but it's uh, you know if you enjoy hunting it's not it's another opportunity for sure you know so, and a good way to do it right in your area yeah without having to go far and um you know put in that cost of travel and what have you so for sure so we're talking about specifically finding things in our area and ways to hunt them um coming up this fall and the species in the fall at least in our area here Uh that are kind of the uh annual dependables are would be deers and birds yeah right so um fortunately for me personally i'm lucky enough to have some friends that allow us to hunt on their place and we have sort of a standing order there or a standing uh, uh appointment there every year um because we built those relationships and things like that. Um, but the bird hunting is something that, like I said before, we grew up slough jumping mm-hmm. around here, uh, and we'd get, you know, my dad would get a upland game permit and a waterfowl stamp, and we'd go and just go. If it flies, it dies, right? Provided it's in season. Provided it's in season. You, <laughs> you identify it, right, yeah. and all that stuff, yeah. right? But that was the general way it goes uh and i'm a lot less familiar personally about like setting up finding places uh calling in all that stuff the the gentleman's way (laughs) of waterfowling right Right. um and it goes to like you said before the always being thinking about it always looking always scouting um because we have a place more middle of the state that my in-laws bought in the last few years, and I'm lucky enough to have that area, and there's a lot of public land around there, but year in and year out all the time. I'm looking around for mm-hmm. when I'm driving through there, when I'm going up there, like potential flight patterns of ducks that are already there, 
places they're already sitting that right. are already there. Because when the migration pattern comes through down the uh, Mississippi River migration corridor, if there's docks in a spot now, that's probably a good spot for docks when they come through, right? Probably. And it's, you know, you mentioned er- like earlier here how you feel like you screwed up last year. It was yeah. a banner year, you know, banner bust. You know, so right about now um, mm-hmm. is where most of these state uh, game of fish, you know, the, the, the natural resource management agencies are releasing like their spring counts. Uh, you know, this is a, one of their biggest jobs, you know, of yeah. managing the resource is managing or, you know, monitoring numbers. Right. You know, so in North Dakota, they'll do, you know, their, their spring crow counts for pheasants. So what they're doing is they're basically, they're, they have certain spots and mm-hmm. they, and they, Basically, just count the number of rooster crows that they hear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so last year it was down. This year it's down. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. we're kind of, you know, right now we're in a really tough time with pheasants in North Dakota just because, you know, last winter going into spring was so dry yeah. that uh, this is where it all ties back into the bi- biology and understanding the critter. You know, what happened is was the hens were, we went in with enough, uh, you know, we had a fairly high mortality count with a really cold, a lot of snow, covered a lot of the feed. Late winter, Late right? Late winter, right? We so, talked about that in our ice fishing episode. Yeah, so we lost a, a fair amount of the animals there. And then what happened was the spring was so very dry mm-hmm. that the hens were able to breed and hatch but essentially there was no bugs or grasses for the young to eat so there was no recruitment for that year for spring of the year birds which um, at any given year most of the animals taken i believe for birds are spring of the year animals just because they're less they grow they, fast they grow fast let, you know and then by the time fall comes around they've learned a lot but they don't necessarily know how to avoid um, human hunters right. so you know and a lot of these species they're not long-lived species to begin with you know uh, if i mm-hmm. think of a pheasant if he lives like two three four years that's probably or four i think that's getting to be an old pheasant yeah you know uh, waterfowl can live you know, quite a bit older i've heard of some banded birds you know getting up to like nine ten you know okay. I, I personally shot a goose that was 15 well, you know and you know so some of the waterfowl can get to be a lot older yeah but uh, i don't think i'll plan really i don't think they get that old so well, and in talking to a work associate i have that hunts yeah. in south dakota he was saying because I came home and they're like, how or back to work and they're like, oh, how was your trip? I was like, we, not great, right? <laughs> you know, not great. I mean, it was fun. We got yeah. out there, all that stuff. Uh, also, we shot clays recently, and that might be part of the problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get out there yeah, and do that. Gotta pick up that gun during the off season too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I've been doing that more, but that yeah, was, right. you know, that might have been part of the problem back then. Yeah, <laughs> gotta dial it in a little bit, and we're working on it. But I was talking to this work associate who went to South Dakota, and he had mentioned, he's like, because he said, what, how was your, we got to talking about some details, and I was like, yeah, everything we came up on was up fast or didn't get up at all and ran mm-hmm. or uh, got up fast almost out of range already when they were getting up. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, last year's birds. Yep. Because they're smarter. They're Just smarter. like we've they're been not- talking about with right. deer, right? Right. Harder to hunt the older they get, right? Right. So, like, this pheasant area that I hunt, you know, just to parlay on that, is, like, 
I'd hunt it the same way every time mm-hmm. and to basically I'd, I'd pick up birds here and there but what I'm trying to do is pinch them down to one spot yeah type deal the last bit of cover for them and then approach and then get in on that mm-hmm. and the birds basically had started figuring me out yeah. they either busted out as soon as I got out of the vehicle or <laughs> you know and those ones you're never going to get you just yeah. won't yeah. you know and uh you know, I had to completely change my tactic. I'm like, okay, they're used to me coming from this direction. Yeah. You know, and we're not being quiet enough. And you think you wouldn't think about it too much for a pheasant, but like you got to be, you get all very of a sudden, quiet. Then all of a sudden, you need to start being stealthy. You got to keep the dog quiet and close. Right. You know? So, right. You know, so now I got you got to learn how to like kind of switch it up. Like, all right, we're gonna pro- approach from this direction this time. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, and then timing is a big thing. It's like, okay, we're gonna sneak real quiet into it, but as soon as we're there, we're gonna work it fast because the birds like to run to the other end yeah. and bust out, and then they're out of range. So we got to work this real fast because we know they're gonna take off running as soon as it. Mm-hmm. And that's just things you learn again as you keep hunting the same spots over and time. Spending you know? those days out in the field, right? You know, right? You know, so you know, there's like that. That's the type of in season scouting that yeah. you type of deal that you know that specific hunt scout you know mm-hmm. and then like so right now like july this is what i'm doing my scouting just my general stuff and learning you know learning the area learning the area, for... where where the animals are you know you know guessing in populations you know just making mm-hmm. a mental note of oh that's a new stand of some weeds that got left up this year that's gonna be a nice little bit of cover you know that's gonna hold birds yeah so right now i see ducks flying in and out of this little puddle here and right. there this is probably a decent area in the region come fall. Right. If there are some other stands you know, with good weed cover or something close to that spot, right. maybe set up there. Yeah, I'm making note of, uh, especially for like waterfall and upland, you know, making note of the differences in like the agriculture fields that were planted this year versus yeah. last. I'm noticing last year there was a lot of corn in the area. Yep. This year it's a lot of beans when they're rotating out the crops. Right. You know, and that, and that all has an effect on the wildlife. They love both corn and soybeans, mm-hmm. you know. But you know, you they might have switched up a little bit now because they're gonna they might pay attention more to soybeans early, corn later, you know, type yeah. So, um, you know, you got to pay attention to, to those types of things and the relation to the heavy cover next to them. Yeah. You know, because that's generally speaking where you're gonna find your birds. Heavy for cover for upland, yeah. For upland, yeah. So, okay, I got to redeem hunter a little bit though too because we were, uh, <laughs> and I also have said several times and I'll put myself out there for the dumb stuff I did and I've said many times I uh, grew up driving around in the truck with my dad didn't do a lot of shooting but Mm -hmm. a lot of I was kind of the bird dog when we didn't have one (laughs) (laughs) okay and uh, it kind of got us out uh, not literally but it got us out in the field a lot you know walking the roads with him Mm -hmm. getting the kids out there walking flushing birds and he'd shoot and then we'd go run up and do the thing you know right Um, and as a kid my dad always harped on me don't slam the door of the truck. 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 Because like you said, I mean, and pheasants, he was a big pheasant hunter specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, actually got into bow hunting in like the 70s, I think, when it was, I mean, at least if not in his infancy, in his grade school years, right? Yeah, that'd be a good um, way of putting it. And uh, he was really into that, but that requires a little bit more of a time commitment. So when there were kids involved, you know, water, or pheasant hunting is a good way to cover ground and keep kids interested while right. doing that stuff if they're a little bit older. So we do that. And every time being the kid I was, he'd say, all right, don't slam the truck door. And every time I would slam that truck door every single time. And he'd go, God damn it. You know, like, <laughs> and pheasants, uh, 
are fairly savvy. Like they'll run on the ground. Yeah, you gotta almost step on them to get them up. Sometimes they'll yeah they'll never. They're hard to predict at times. I like, guess yeah, sometimes yeah. you've gotta just about give them the boot to get them to fly. Right. I've seen my dad poke yeah. a pheasant with the muzzle of his shotgun yeah. to get it to jump so he could take a yeah. shot at it. They'll, you know? they'll sit that tight. Yeah. You know, or like I said, they'll. They'll take off running, you know. Mm-hmm. There's certain uh, can't, yeah. You know, you know. There's ones that'll. It's and it's a weird thing. Is like, like I don't. This might be the tinfoil hat of me right now, but yeah, I think that uh, pheasants right now are learning not to cackle and crow when they flush. Really. Or maybe it's not a learned thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I noticed this way more when I was younger that, especially when you're hunting, like, it seems to be like early, like in the mornings, mm-hmm. that, you know, they're, they're tough to identify against the sun, you know? Because, yeah. like, you know, you're not picking up on the coloration. It's, you know, a head pheasant has a bit of a tail too, but it's not real long, so it might be a young one. So if a, a bird flushes, you know, if your dog puts it up or you put it up, you mm-hmm. immediately know that's a rooster. Hens don't do that at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, like, that's how some of them, the only reason they got shot is it's because they, they cackled or, or crowed when they flushed. Okay. So. Sounds like this. Tony's pulled up a YouTube video here. I'll cut this bit out. Sorry, pick a different one. Hold on. Okay. Yep, basically do that again. So when it so when it comes up, it sounds like this. That's, so that's when they crow. You know, then they, when they flush, it's very similar to that. It's a it's really excited. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, well, your voice calls are on point. <laughs> <laughs> That one wasn't bad. I've never tried it before. So anyway, so they, that's some ways that, like, the only way you knew was a rooster, which in most states you can only shoot roosters, yep. uh, that you knew it was such and you were able to shoot and take that bird legally. Because it so, cackled when it went Because it cackled when it went up. So now, like, I hear so few of those ones that do that anymore. I don't know if I heard any of them do it last year. So what I think it is is like a kind of a behavioral evolution. Really? That and I'll, hold on here. I, 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 I hear the skepticism in your no, voice. Not at all. You know much better than I do. So uh, I and think, that happens all the time. I think it was a human caused behavioral evolution that it, they didn't. The ones that cackle get shot. Yeah, the, they didn't learn, but mm-hmm. the, they're the gene in there that like that made them not cackle. That made them not cackle or cackle when they flush. It, the ones that didn't cackle are now doing the breeding. That's right, because the ones that cackle got shot. <laughs> so, hey man, it's a viable theory. You know, and I have the no way to test it. Stone Age, what do we know? You know, but I guess, and, and, and they've run into a similar thing for like these like huge like rattlesnake hunts down in Texas. Yeah. That the, the rattlesnakes that rattled were the ones that guys found. Oh, so you're telling me that Texas has created a population of diamondback rattlesnakes that no longer rattle. <laughs> yes. That, that, Super duper. Let's go hunting there. The thing that tells people like to stay away yeah, so you yeah. don't get bit, they yeah. don't do that as Super much anymore. Super poisonous snake? Cool. Yeah. Let's go pig hunting. <laughs> and I think that they've actually done some research on this, and that's yeah. what they figure is happening, is that the rattlesnakes that rattled were taken, the ones that don't rattle yeah. are the ones that are now doing the breeding. Fair enough. 
Same so, thing with cackling pheasants. And I think it's the very same thing. So and I, I think there was actually some research done on really? the rattlesnake thing. Or, like, they're starting to pick up on it more beyond just folklore and mm-hmm. stuff. So, and, it, and to me, it's like, well, if it's happening with sense. snakes in Texas, it could oh, very well be happening with, right. with pheasants in North Dakota. Right, right. So that if makes any, perfect sense. Please, if someone has any insight on this or if you want to tell me that's mm-hmm. absurd... Um, but I've bounced it off a couple of dedicated upland hunters in there in the state. And I was like, you guys remember when, like, pheasants used to crow or cack a whole lot more? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, when's the last time you heard one here? And they're like, you're right. <laughs> you <know>? you <laughs> might be on to something. It's been years. So if there's a grad student out there, you know, if you can look into this for me and, you know, put a, you know, do a paper. Right. There's your thesis right there. There's your thesis. (laughs) And and you can go ahead and put me as a secondary author. (laughs) I'd take any secondaries if you get uh, published, any (laughs) residuals. Right. You know, (laughs) it it, it doesn't need to be monetary, but I I do think I deserve some credit on that. (laughs) Well, so, so my dad used to tell me not to slam the door and I'd always slam the door. Uh, and so we had a new guy come with us and, you know, as first time I've been pheasant hunting in 15 years, mm-hmm. same with, uh, Hunter who it was out there and, uh, our friend Jeff was out there. And so we were kind of telling him he never, I don't know that he'd ever been. So we were kind of telling him like, you know, stick with us. He's shot and stuff, but you know, just how to walk a line down a field and where to walk and what to look for and that sort of stuff that we kind of remembered from back in the day, but we were kind of monkeys humping a doorknob out there uh, to some extent um but it was fun yeah <laughs> but uh anyway so i was but the number one thing jeff don't slam the truck door don't slam the truck door just like my dad used to say to me we got out of the truck and i was the last one out of the truck and i slammed the goddamn truck door again at 31 years old and they have not let me forget it since then so well, I, well it, 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 it's here's the kicker though. It's like you were learning these mistakes. Oh yeah, again, right? You know, and I learned uh, them before. Learn them again. Well, but you know, obviously you're just not gonna learn that lesson. <laughs> but, but we're gonna have to walk to get to the spot <laughs> if you don't want me to scare the birds away. But you know, some of the other things you learn, you're like, you just go ahead and archive that, and then mm-hmm. I was there when you need it. So, yeah. you know, we talked before, it's like, if, if you're a person that needs immediate success, yeah. you know, hunting, fishing might not be for you. So, right. um, but, you know, you're, you're scrolling away those little bits of knowledge now, right. you know, Don't so like, door. you're going to remember like, you know, some of those places where you guys you guys kick up any pheasants? Oh yeah. Okay, so like nope. I bet I bet you like remember those spots exactly. Oh, yeah. yep. Like, cause that's where the bird got up last time. Right. And you probably you know you, so you'll start piecing that together. It's like why does he relate exactly to that spot? You mm-hmm. know, I'll see it's like some of these same drainages that I hunt year after year after year. Yeah. Coolies, creek bottoms, whatever you want to call them. Like I I know where the bird's gonna flush. Right. You know you know I'm surprised sometimes when I'm this but like I'll be walking out and like conducting these walks and we call yeah. them drives. You know. We got the dogs out there, and it's like, all right, so this is what's going to happen. These birds are coming, they're going to be in the bottom here, but we're going to push them up to the top. So I need you out, you know, out there. Come over the ridge, they're going to flush, right? Yeah, they're going to flush this way, you know, Mm -hmm. like be prepared to shoot out over this area. You know, we're going to be below you, so every shot's going to be up, you know, for safety, you know. And you'll learn how to conduct these types of things because you've done it year after year, you know, and the birds become to a point predictable until until the bird figures you out, and Mm -hmm. then you got to switch it up. 
or the so. yearly breeding pattern changes right. or the weather conditions or something, but it's right. all part of gather or creating that database for yourself. Right. So, you know, the good thing about upland birds is they're usually, as far as the habitat goes and where the places they're going to relate to, it's usually pretty predictable. Yeah. That, you know, oftentimes, you know, I hunt the same spots I do now as I did five, six years ago. Yeah. You know, I might have to change it up a little bit of how I approach that spot. Right. But, you know, the birds are still there. And that's the that is the benefit of upland birds. They require less scouting. Right. Okay. So that's what I'm trying to do right now with mm-hmm. waterfowl and right. in the area that I want to go because that's something that I'm trying to build that database now of the mm-hmm. patterns that I see where they're where they are now and I was watching last year too right. they come in this way because I still went out there and uh we go fishing there a lot because it's on a lake in the mm-hmm. summer and in the winter ice fishing but not a lot a lot but that's mm-hmm. the main activities but the fall and spring are kind of dead times right but I like to go out there last fall to observe that stuff mm-hmm. and to look at that stuff and to try and find those things um, so the approach that I've taken and correct me if I'm wrong here is a lot like the other approach we had for the adventure style hunt, mm-hmm. but first identify the animal in the area, right? Mm-hmm. Which I did. Um, and then look for habitat. And in this particular case with waterfowl, I'm looking for lakes with like rushes and weeds and stuff around the yep. edges, right? Because I've noticed that they sort of group up and land on the edge of the rushes or into the rushes or in nice little like uh, bay pockets area with emergent vegetation on the surface, right? So the beauty of waterfall hunting is that there's so many species to hunt. Yeah. So without knowing anything else and just what you're telling me, I'm guessing that you were seeing mallards. Yes, mostly greenheads because that's what... I mean, a duck shape in the sky is a duck shape in the sky, but the identifiable ones are greenhead mallards, right? right. So, yeah, easily, yeah. Yeah. So everyone knows what they look like. They're bright greenhead, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of a, you know, different colors on the body, a lot of white in there, some brown, Mm -hmm. you know, the the beautiful bird, you know. Yeah. So what he's, you know, he's, you know, identified some behavior where these, where those birds like to hang out. You know, he's telling us, well, basically these are what we would call puddler ducks. These are ducks like to hang out in those types of cover areas shallower water mm-hmm. you know and they're probably probably the most hunt especially mallards the most hunted waterfall bird in minnesota for sure yeah with say. possibly the exception of teal i don't there might be more teal taken just because teal are just so easily accessible so yeah just because they're everywhere so yeah, you know what? I should back that up. Maybe there is other more species taken, but definitely I would say they're the most targeted species. Teal and uh, mallard. Mallards. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that. So, so what Tony is describing is you know you know since he knows that they're related to that cover, he also knows he can hide in that cover. Right. You know he is going to be standing in some water, but so be it. You know. Yeah. So Getting you know John boat and waiting. Right. So. Now, diver ducks, you know, which is usually what I relate to when you say lakes and stuff, they're mm-hmm. ones way more deeper open water. You know, okay. So a duck either yeah. mm-hmm. congregates around the edge and mm-hmm. eats things on the surface or off the edge of the pond or river right. or whatever, and a diver duck is one of the ones mm-hmm. that dives down under the water and goes into, like, the bed or into the water itself and eats yep, out of more, there, right? Yeah, they'll eat more like that. You Some know, people so. call them, I've heard them, I've heard mud ducks. 
depending on. <sighs> yeah. Because they go down and they, like, eat out of the lake bed or whatever, the water bed. And it gets see, I don't, I don't want to give them a bad... Right. You know, you know. I'm not some, trying to do yeah. that, but you know, like some diver ducks, yeah, they're going to be a little bit tougher eating. Um, but if you, a lot of that 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 flavor that guys don't like, a lot of that is like concentrated in their fat. Mm. So, like, if you get rid of all that fat, and you and you got to be really picky about it. Yeah. On those types of ducks, you get rid of all that, and you'll kind of you'll get rid of that fishy taste. Oh speaking. To me. So. It's like a fine wine. Well, you want to taste a little bit of that terra firma. Yeah. And, you, <laughs> you know, know? And some guys, you know, and, and it's funny is, you know, and, and Americans especially, we love bland food. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that's just the way of it. I, I don't know why, you know. It's uh, it's funny. It's like guys. This area is that good yeah, northern people European he, stock. You know, people will tell you. Yeah, well, it's funny. Is you, they'll tell, tell, people will tell you here for like a run of a buck. Mm-hmm. You know, just stinks. Tastes and, like testosterone. Yeah, it tastes bad. You know, to the, mm-hmm. you know just a... You know, in, in a lot of other countries, that's the animal they want. Oh, for sure. They, they're they looking for that tougher, gamier flavor. Mm-hmm. It's um, got, a little, uh, got a little sting to it. Yeah, and yeah. I'm kind of an appreciator of both, I guess. Yeah, so, for sure. You for know, sure. I take, you know, at, you know, I know, generally speaking, how a deer's going to taste when I, you know, when I yeah, cook and eat it. But, you know, there's got to be variations of it, like... I shot a, a buck last year that is, it's been the, I mean, yummy, very tender, but mm-hmm. some of the blandest yeah. <laughs> meat I've ever had. I mean, I mean it, it tastes pretty much what you put on it, you know? Really? And it's, uh, it, it, there's there's places for that, you know, but mm-hmm. it was just like the doe I shot the year before, which is generally speaking the ones that are more... Uh, easy, more mild tasting, mild tasting, easier on the palate. You know, she was significantly more venison, venisonly flavored. Really? So I mean, I like, I even like that in fish. Uh-huh. Like, uh, there are people in our family that, like, my father-in-law doesn't want to taste the fish. He likes the beer batter, batter, and all that stuff. Right. That's what fish tastes like. And I'm like, I like to taste the lake it came out of. A little yeah. bit, <laughs> you know, personally. Yeah. Well, I mean, you'll find those things out of where yeah. you're, you know, what... I mean, maybe the taste, like, it comes out of taste not so great, but, right. like, to me, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. well, it's, it's funny, like, a walleye, you know, I, I finally convinced my father-in-law to eat uh, the wings, as we put them. Yeah. Where you, like, kind of cut, you know, if you could describe this, you know, mm-hmm. you have the fish in hand... It's got these two, I think they're the pectoral, pectoral fins, fish. they're right behind the head of the fish. Mm-hmm. And you kind of like slide up underneath those, and there's, so after you flay the fish out and you get that meat off like the sides, there's like the, some people I guess call it the jowl. Mm-hmm. You just need to slide your flay. No, no, it's oh, not, not the, the cheeks. cheeks. That's on the, the That's face, on the face itself. itself, yeah. Like this is on, kind of on the belly. Mm-hmm. And you kind of cut underneath there. Right, and you bring mm-hmm. it up to the head, and it takes those fins with it and a piece uh-huh. of skin, yeah, and like uh, a chunk of meat there that's probably, triangle. yeah, that's probably about the size of uh, a big scallop. If it was you on know? you, it would be like the inner part of your pectoral muscles, yeah, you can yeah. imagine that, okay, yeah. So, and like the skin's on it, the fins are on it, you know, yeah. and all this, and like my, my father-in-law's like, okay, so now what do you do with it? I'm like, well, you, it, it was like you batter that up, you fry it like you would any other piece of fish. You, just like this? And I go, yeah, just like this. Mm-hmm. You know, and like some people like say you need to like scale it even. Like I don't even, I don't even bother with that. I just, I just mow right through that piece of skin and the scales, you won't even notice they're there. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, you I put the, like, like wings as a handle and I'll take yeah. the whole thing as a bite, you, you know. Eat it like a buffet. 
overflowing. <laughs> yeah, kind of, you know, and like there's a piece, there's two pieces of cartilage that come into it and mm. those will slide out, yeah. you know, but the rest of it you just eat, you know, there and you it's go. just, it's a, it's a nice big bite of fish in there and it tastes like fish. Might you know, well it's, a, it. it's a tougher muscle on the fish because you mm-hmm. imagine this is a muscle that's doing the work with those pectoral fins, you can yeah. imagine. And it's, I think it's really good. I'll never leave one on another fish. Yeah. I never knew about that. I'll be taking those off wallets from now on. <laughs> right. You know, so it's just, and that's one of the things I didn't learn until late in life. Yeah. You know, it was like, ah, you don't want to, you know, the only part of the fish Take that's the edible, is, the only part of the fish that's edible is this. It's like, no, there's a whole bunch of other extra stuff. other things out yeah. here that, you know, people that, you know, we get these snobber, like, mm-hmm. the snobbery to it of, you know, like, the, you only take the best parts. It's kind of that old boy way that I've been mm-hmm. talking about in the past, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's funny. It's like my my son now insists that I take the cheeks out on every walleye. He's like, I want to eat his face. It's like, you know what? I can accommodate that. All right, good kid. <laughs> you know, so you know, it's another bite of you know bite of fish, and right. if, and he loves them. So I'm getting him to eat. You know, he's being For sure. he's being involved with the process. For you sure. know, he he watches me do it, so he realizes that, well, you know, that's not just food on his plate now yeah that was a fish before that's a thing that was a that was a living Mm -hmm. breathing in water thing before that you know so he that's part of his understanding and education of the natural world right now and if we're gonna talk about how important it is to uh, people don't just trophy hunt and you eat everything you might it's equally as important to eat all of everything right right so um, anyway back to I don't mean to give diver ducks a bad name (laughs) no 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 but you know you're picking up on you know, some behavior things that's going to help you later. Yeah. So, you know, so opposite of upland, which are, like I said, predictable. Yeah. It's good that you're paying attention to these things for waterfall, but mm-hmm. waterfall hunting, you're going to, especially for if you're going to be hunting out of fields and what have you, Yeah. that's a scouting through the season type deal. They move, they're way, way, way more... Um, uh, transient, oh, I guess. Okay. Okay. Then you know they have the you know oftentimes they'll have their certain bodies of water that they like to uh, nest on or yeah or you know spend their nights on whatever. But so like your your dabbler or puddler ducks like your mallard, what he wants to do is go out and feed in the field, mm-hmm. you know, during the day. Generally speaking, so right. Like, so that's why we used to walk up on them with pheasants sometimes. Right. So okay. you know you got to feed. You know you're looking at. Earlier in the season, yeah, you know, I, I generally find them more so in wheat fields, your small mm-hmm. grains, okay. wheat, barley, mm-hmm. uh, uh, oftentimes peas, but peas really? is kind of an all-season thing. Okay. You know, later in the year, they're going to relate more towards corn. Okay. Corn has changed the landscape and the, the, the waterfall migration more than anything else. Okay. And if you really want to hear me just go off on something, bring that up to me sometime. Corn's role yeah. in waterfowl migration? Yeah, I have, like, written almost a research paper on this. <laughs> well, so, and that comes back to getting to know the yeah. overall ecology of your area, refining yeah. your bushcraft to some extent, but knowing about the agronomy right. in the area, too. Right. Is that the right word? Agriculture in the area, too. Yeah, sure. You know, so then, like, some species of plants, you know, egg things, they just don't relate to at all like mm-hmm. you are not going to find uh waterfall in uh sunflowers you just won't mm. you know you're there's not I'm, a lot of those in the area that i've seen this year but yeah, that's interesting yeah, and good to I, know i've never seen them in flax fields or canola oh, fields some flax and you, canola yeah there. you know but it's funny is like you know deer well 
love that stuff. You know, yeah. they'll eat the they'll eat all kinds of flax. Some of the fattest deer I've ever shot were eating flax because it's all fat. Just yeah. oil is what they're mm-hmm. going after. You know, they must have great hearts. <laughs> so it's uh, you know it, it helps to know these types of things and it mm-hmm. helps to know that you know what. You know, you know, you can relate to the benefits, you know, of, you know, these egg land with, you know, wildland interfaces, I guess. Right. So. Because uh, that's what a lot of the, especially in this particular area I'm in, a lot of the public land is sort of uh, dotted as wildlife management areas or mm-hmm. just uh, BLM land or forest service land or like multi-use land. Right. That sort of stuff uh, This speckled all over the place in between farmlands so mm-hmm. a lot of this public land is going to be butted up against and i don't know i some of it i have to see if i even would have access to the area without right. going through uh without going through private land privately right. held land so and that's something i've been doing like uh, even when we were out there in this last week over the fourth of july we took time and went up to the lake for a vacation and that was one of the things we did it was mm-hmm. go out and drive around and plot out some of these public land spots that are close and I think I'll probably have some competition out there too which is something right. that is can't be denied with public land but if you do the work scout all year always keep it on your mind at least pay attention to what they're doing mm-hmm. notice behavior patterns things like that um, one thing I like about the public land ethos is if you just Work harder. You can there, find a place. A there lot is of the an time, el- right? Oftentimes, there is an element to that. Is the guy that's willing to put in more effort or change things up a little bit, or go in deeper, you know, or go in, you know, get up it, earlier. And it, it should be noted, you know, that these animals, um, they act completely different from when they're hunted by by man than they are when they're not. So what I'm noticing this yeah. time of year might not mean anything when it comes to the fall except for general behavior tendencies. Yeah, and that's something you're going to have to find out, you know, yeah. area by area, you know, animal by animal. By animal even. Just by doing it. You know, just by doing it. So, you know, so like, so let's say, how would you, you know, beat that? Well, most people are going to be weekend warriors. Yep. Can you go on a Wednesday? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, and and I know there's going to be enough people that are like, well, we'll all go to Wednesday, and like, well, mm-hmm. then you're gonna have to change again, right? You know, so what you know, what used to be my absolute most favorite thing in the world, you know, for as far as like waterfall hunting is, I like hunting waterfall in the fields. Mm-hmm. Um, so it be it has become so competitive. Over the ponds. Right. So so what happens? Okay, so if like again, the difference between like an up upland hunting and waterfall hunting, like. Uh, waterfall flock way 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 more than upland so like yeah. you'll say you're walking the, the spot you're going to kick up a bird here a bird there yeah you know type deal so what happens with waterfall is when they flock up you know 20 are coming in now 30 are coming in now right and you that's know, something i noticed when we used to slew jump before right. is you'd kick up a pheasant here and there but you come up on a prairie pothole in a wetlands region and you'd kick up curtains of ducks sometimes now so what happens with you know these groups of birds you know they flock up so much and now all of us and where they go out to feed Mm -hmm. you know again because they're flocking nature you know they might be feeding in exactly one field yeah in that entire let's say one or two fields an entire township which is 36 square miles yeah huge 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 area yeah you know so there might be four or five groups of guys that want to hunt that same field 
Yeah. You know, so that's where it gets really tough to how to how do I beat that competition? Because if it's just a piece of land that you know, if it's like say an unposted piece of corn, yeah, and you all get there, is the you know who. Uh, Whose permission is it to hunt? Right. You know, who who has the right to that, you know, to go? And the truth is you all do. Right. You know, if it's not posted or, or if you all got permission, you know. I would think gentleman's rule is the first guy there. Generally speaking, yeah. But, okay, you've, this is your weekend to hunt, let's say. Yeah. And this is the time you go. You put in all this work to find this field. It's the only field you can find. You show up and somebody beats you by 10 minutes. <sighs> Make friends with the guy. Yeah. Now he's you your hunting make, buddy. Yeah, you try to make friends with the guy, you know, but, like, I've had, definitely had it before where I set up, somebody shows up, you know, an hour later than I did. It's still dark out, and they show up, and they come out, and they, they're going to set up. They're setting up in that field, too. And when, if you're familiar, you know, one thing to know about waterfall hunting is that just does not work. What yeah. happens is these birds, generally speaking, is they see that... You know, because they're flocking nature, if there's two groups of decoys of a field, it's not natural because that's not what the birds usually do. They're going to form one big group, not two right. separate groups. So what ends up happening is when these birds, they like to circle around, they come into the wind where they make these huge arcs and they're flying over that guy, even though they're not actually working his bird decoys they're working mine. You yeah. know, he's sky busting at them or he's, you know, they're popping their blinds open. They're flaring the birds over there. They're scaring my birds. I'm scaring his birds. Mm-hmm. And then, and what happens is nobody has a good hunt. Yeah. And, uh, cause you're and stepping on each other's tactics it, essentially. It's, you know, yeah. You're, so what, you know, what you said is like make a friend. Oh yeah. I've definitely made fast friends early in the morning. You know, a guy yeah. shows up, you know, and, and I, suggest this to everyone you know mm-hmm. somebody shows up the same field you're hunting you know go up there and talk to them like hey what's your guys' plan you know, you know yeah. what have you and, 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 and I will tell this to anybody like it's way you know it's tough to hide more than three four guys in a group you know but that is better to double up and put eight guys in a group of waterfall hunting than it is right. to have two separate groups in the same field yeah. you know and just you know make a fast friend that morning you know like mm-hmm. you know we'll just put everything together and you know we'll hunt together you yeah. know and then you can part ways as friends later and it you'll you'll avoid a lot more fights in competition in the field well maybe you make yeah. contact with that guy and he knows a place and i'm just out here because mm-hmm. i can hunt on a wednesday morning because i don't have a shift today right. and i usually go out to this other guy's spot and if it turns out that I have permissions in this place that is really, really prime. Right. And then you have success together and you make friends and maybe you go out to right. breakfast or something. Right. Then there's a guy that you know to go hunting with in the future. Right. right. So with that, like I said, the all-season scouting where, you know, this might be the field today. You know, tomorrow the field might be, you know, mm-hmm. a couple miles down the road. So, you know, what my usual thing is for that type of hunting you know, where I'm trying to hunt waterfall in the field is I'm going out scouting the night before, the evening yep. before, and, okay. we, and the, the term we use is put them to bed, as in watch the field all the way till, watch till dark it. to where they leave, and they're going to go back to water to roost. You know, that piece of information, where they're going to roost, so you know where they're coming from the next morning can be really valuable. It helps you set up your decoys the next morning. When you say roost, that's uh-huh. basically go to sleep for a bird right? yep yep okay. that's basically you know that's what most birds that are not nocturnal or even the ones that are nocturnal they just go back to the day in the roost they have their spots that they like they find a safe space they find a safe spot yeah safe so, space <laughs> safe space there's no safe spaces <laughs> they don't yeah. exist yeah. get tough yeah toughen up you know <laughs> so 
You know, for a waterfall, you know, it's on the water. For mm-hmm. pheasants, you know, it's under tucked in some deep cover. For turkeys, it's up in a tree. Yeah. You know, and sometimes they'll have their their favorite spots. Yeah. You know, so a waterfall oftentimes they'll relate to those same bodies of water, but they're feeding in a lot of different fields. So oh, so, so that's that why sense. it's important you have to scout during the season for waterfall. And of course, now, right now they're not on any particular type of migratory pattern, and in right. the fall they're going to be headed south. Right. And I'm getting birds out of north of me that are headed south of me Right. that are looking for the same type of prime things that they're looking for right now, but in bigger numbers and in different ways, which will affect how they do it. Right. Okay. You know, so, you know, you know, you know, and I have I have some favorite fields or for whatever reason. Some you know birds relate to that field. Your favorite because they're their favorite. Yeah, right? yeah. So like sometimes what it is is a guy is just he just keeps putting that same crop in. You know, right. But the moment he switches that crop, everything changes. Yeah, and it's like ah crud. Right. You know, so you know, and, and I still love that type of hunt if I can get out mm-hmm. into those fields. And part of it is because they're easy. I'm right. not tromping through a slew at four in the morning you know the waiters getting waiters, cold or... yeah you know but it's it, there's a couple disadvantages to it again the number one there like i said is competition this, this has become a way more popular thing for to people call to them do. into a field you rather than into some rushes you know, at the edge of a body of water right so it, like i said it's because of its ease you know mm-hmm. there's not a lot of a lot of physical hard work to do it it's a dedication getting up in the morning and you know there's a dedication to find your field you know and yeah. it's you kind of you know you know, more often than not, because you don't know where you're going yeah. necessarily until you find them, you know, there is a, a definite element of uncertainty of well, that's not part being, of what makes it fun, but yeah. Yeah, you know, it, and, and frustrating, right? And frustrating. You know, it's it's tough when you you know, you go out on a Friday or Saturday evening to either get a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning hunt and you cover a couple hundred miles and you can't find a field to hunt. Right. That sucks, you know. I hear actually more guys being frustrated about waterfowling in this area than I do about anything else where the frustration comes in. It, to and be it's honest, changed, you know. So, yeah. But you know, because I love waterfall hunting. Yeah. You know, we kind of had to change our tactics. Right. So I do a lot more water hunting now. Hunt, you right. know, which is more work. Yeah. You know, but I was willing to put it in. Mm-hmm. So some advantages that I have of hunting over water is, you know, generally speaking, if you're hunting in a field, yeah. you're shooting maybe two or three species that are the only ones that are going to come in. Mallards are number one. Yeah. You might get some gaddles and you might get some pintails. Okay. Okay. You will get no divers. Nope. It's it just not going to happen. Okay. Because they, they don't feed like that. They feed off the bottom of the body they of feed, water. They feed in the water. You know, you know, Not necessarily the bottom, but yeah, out of there. Mallards that feed in the water and stuff, all that stuff too, but they also have the option of feeding on these fields. So mm-hmm. divers will not do that. So if you open up your, you know, they'll, you know, what you're willing to work for, you know, go out and hunt in these bodies of water, all of a sudden you are shooting blue wing teal, green wing teal, widgeon. Uh, you're getting into your divers, your redheads, your wood ducks. You know, I'll come back to wood ducks in a second. Okay. You know, redheads, ring, you know, ringbills, ringnecks, you know, mm. the canvasbacks, you know, all these ones that are, you know, you you're not going to get those hunting out of any field. You just won't. Clearly, you know. I need to work on my identification of these. As <laughs> yeah. Well. well, that's what the great, you know, one of the things about water hunting is again difficult is you you got to be able to identify birds in flight. Yeah. You know, because there is species restrictions. There is sex, sex restrictions. 
restrictions within those species. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, you know, and then there's the gentleman's code of we try not to shoot hens. Right. At all. Even if, it, even if, even if allowed. Yeah. And you got to you know? be able to tell that on yeah. the wing before you take a shot. Yeah. With certain species that are easy to tell hens from drakes, generally speaking. Like a mallard. Like a mallard. With a gadwall, that's really, you know, especially early season, that's real tough. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, pin, you know, uh, your teal species, I, I don't know how to, honestly, you know. But yeah. I can identify a blue wing or a green wing on the on the wing, but I couldn't tell you if the male or female, because at that time in North Dakota, they're not in their full plumage. Yeah. So, it, that's one of the difficulties of water flooding. But, because of that, it's also so rewarding. Yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah. I I live for that man. God, Seems like that. one of the deeper wells of hunting. If you're gonna like, because a lot of times that a lot of things that people run into in general is, we talked a lot about the commitment that it takes, mm-hmm. and like we talked about being a generalist rather than a specialist, right? Mm-hmm. Always looking for something. If you commit mm-hmm. to being a generalist, then you will always have something to do in the hunting and fishing realm, right. but. That takes a time commitment that a lot of people, I don't think, are either unable or unwilling to make or don't have the desire to get that that involved. And it seems like waterfowling is one of the ones where if you want to specialize, there's a fairly wide range to specialize in and it can be very rewarding to specialize in one type of hunting because of the variety of animals that are covered Mm -hmm. under that. And, you know, and I, I say this a lot. I discuss with my cousin. Waterfall hunters, dedicated waterfowls, we are a special kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I mean, who else is going to get up this ridiculous hour, put on... 3 o'clock, 2.30. Yeah, yeah, put on a, a stupid amount of gear, you know, trudge through the, you know, this cold... You know, get, get used to being get used to being cold. Always a little cold and always a little wet. I was gonna say that <laughs> when you said trudging through water in the waders. Yeah. It's my experience. Waders are great, yeah. but I never put on a pair of waders that kept me 100 percent dry. <laughs> and yeah. maybe that's the way I'm using them. Well, but. it's you're gonna they don't breathe, so you're getting you're getting wet either from water coming in, which is generally speaking avoided, but or, or water not going out, or water not going out. You're sweating, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, you know. So it's. Uh, you know, but I just, God, I, I live for it, man. Working yeah. a set of birds coming in to my calls, you know, I just. Yeah, and that's another way that it gets rich is like the variety of calling and that sort of stuff. Right. And this is one of those ones where I feel like I need to really do some book learning up front, too. Because mm-hmm. as far as uh, jumping slews is easy enough to right. see, uh, you know, a flock on a slough mm-hmm. early in the morning when you're walking a shelter line for pheasants. Right. And come up over that hill and have them come up in a big curtain and blow a couple holes in the curtain. Easy enough. Right. I mean, it's not, but it's different than learning the uh, roosting to field feeding flight patterns, setting up your decoys right, not setting up your blinds right, calling them in right, mm-hmm. flaring them at the right time or not flaring them at all, knowing yeah. where to do that, identifying on the wing, making your shot, like right. that sort of stuff making the right calls at the right times like that's all very involved and i feel like i need to and i have been actually i'm going to plug you again you wrote a book on it (laughs) (laughs) setting decoys by moonlight which i bought uh and read and i also like watch a lot of videos on it too calling them in because i really feel like i missed a year last year and i don't want to leave it's like did that help you at all did you read it yeah it did (laughs) and i did yes and it does because 
like like I said, I don't have a lot of experience in the calling it in right. type thing, and it did a lot of things to look for, a lot of points, um, and a lot of good anecdotes as well. So, right. um, and, I, and I really got a harp on that, being able to identify birds on the wing. If you can't, don't shoot. <laughs> and you can. That's something yeah, you can always be practicing. It's not just a you know, it's not just a duck as a duck. Several years ago, I was out. We had a big group of guys, five, you know, all family. We had an opening weekend hunt, and we, you know, we were in a high visibility area. Let's put it this way, just off a highway, but mm-hmm. we, you know, we got good permission, you know, and it's we had a great mixed bag hunt of Canada geese and ducks, and it's, it's everything that I dream and live for. Yeah, you know, we're we're shooting, and it, and opening weekend here, you know, birds are not in full plumage. Yeah, and and they are very very difficult to identify. Yeah. You know, and we're getting to a point, you know, where I'm like, you know, I'm, we're keeping meticulous count of hens and drakes, you know, what have mm-hmm. you, specifically in the mallards. And we get to a point, I'm like, guys, we can't shoot any more hens. So unless you can positively identify that bird, yeah, you know, don't shoot. You don't get to shoot, yeah. you know. So we got to a point there where I'm the only one that's allowed to shoot anymore because mm-hmm. like I could pick up oh there's a widgeon <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know because you've been putting in the time since you yeah. can remember yeah since I can remember of it so you know we ended up you know I just we got to a point where I said guys we're done we're done we're yeah. not shooting any more birds we're under our limit and like I'm, we just can't because I'm not going to risk we're this we're reaching the ceiling on some on something varieties. we're getting close we're just going to call it you know we've had a good hunt you know, we mm-hmm. could have shot more birds we could have got a limit I just said we're done yeah you know so and then this happened where we're cleaning up and there's the game of fish Mm-hmm. And he comes over and checks us out and checks our guns. You know, we're you know very yeah, polite. You, you know, your... here's my license. Here's my pl- you know mm-hmm. everything. Can only put two bl- guns or two uh, rounds in the magazine here. So one three in the gun, chamber, one yeah. in the chamber. So three maximum free shotguns here. You know, and then he comes around to checking our birds. Okay. So we got them all lined out there. Why do I have a feeling I can sense where this is going? You probably can't, actually. So okay. we're so. I'm a he, little nervous for you at this point. <laughs> he comes around, starts checking our birds, and we got them all lined up there because you know we're taking our pictures and what have you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's the new guy out there. You know, the, the, I think this guy was in training. You know that he's in with he's with the veteran yeah. uh, game warden, and the, he's like, the new guy's over there. He's identifying ducks and he's counting. So he, gets, he grabs a bird. And they identify them by the wing. I want you to know this. This is yep. important. They only identify their birds by the wing. Not by the beak, not by the feet, not by anything else, but by the wing. That's how the, 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 the determining plumage okay. for that that they look at when they're identifying birds. Sure. So this guy would pick up a bird, set it, you know, check it, and then he'd go back and pick up a bird again, look at it again. Identify. Is that my sure? <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, he wasn't. He The, the game warden was not 100% certain with a bird in hand right. whether or not it was a drake, which is a male, or a, a hen, which is a female on these mallards. Yeah. Now, I ask you, if he can't identify the expert, the guy that his job is... Expert. The, the guy whose job it is to identify these birds and be able to enforce the law and identification of birds has a hard time identifying them in hand, dead, how easy is it for a guy to do it on the wing? Not easy at all. Because <laughs> right. over the last year, I've been trying to do that, and right. it's I'm like barely starting to feel like I can even come close to doing it after a year of practicing. Right. So we get there, and I just told he's there's still birds flying around. He's just mm-hmm. like, so you guys are under your limit here, and you know, do you, you know, you know, basically, why'd you stop? I said, we weren't going to risk going over and he's like 
You know, we we really appreciate that. Right. And, you know, he said, congratulations on your hunt, guys. We'll see you next time. Yeah. And that was that. That's awesome. You know? And it, 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 so it didn't have to be a bad experience no. for anybody. You no. Know? And I will, we have said, and I will always say that it's not an adversarial relationship with the mm-hmm. wildlife management agency. And you you are in it together and you yeah. should work together. Um I'm I'm new enough at it, but we've been stopped, and I've told a story about some dumb stuff I've done, mm-hmm. uh, not anything illegal, just some on the wares right. type situations. Well, and it's you know, it, like you said, yeah, it doesn't need to be adversary. I keep the rap line when mm-hmm. report all poachers. Some yeah. places with the tip line, turn in poachers. I yeah. keep that on my phone. Right. Somebody that's out there that's breaking the law, he is stealing wildlife from you. Right. You know, and it's so casual. Some people yeah. are so casual about like. Uh, mm-hmm. And scenarios that, like the one you just described, are where people get that old boy mentality because they're like, what the hell does this DNR man know? He can't even identify it in the wing. What do you mean you don't know what that is? It's in your hand. Right. And then they think, oh, well, a DNR doesn't know shit about what they're talking about. Right. But you're all in it together, and that your point is the right point to be made about it, right. that it is that hard. Not right. that that guy doesn't know what he's talking about, right. but that it is that fine of a line sometimes. That early in the season before they reach full plumage. Yeah. Yep. So DNR is your friend. Don't be a jerk to him. Yeah. That's the best way to sum it up. <laughs> um, and work with him. Uh, but so, I mean, if we're going to talk about, hunting and how to get started and things like that which is our point here we'll say that probably every episode is to get right. people involved we talked about how to plan a adventure hunt but i think what i'm getting out of this as far as starting in your own neighborhood we'll say right. whether that be state or whatever not planning a destination hunt mm-hmm. starting in your own neighborhood the main thing that you can do to help yourself the most is identify sort of the perennial I mean, because we're, we're waterfowl. Right. We're, we're talking birds, and we talked a lot about deer and in and previous we're episodes. Come, I think on the next episode, we're going to come back specifically to this conversation for deer. Right, right, so, specifically. And so this we'll, one we'll, was, just be birds. Right? This is yeah. birds-centric, yeah. but what I'm getting is that's not always where it's going to be in every state forever. It's not going to be birds. Right. It's your perennial fall hunt. A lot of the major seasons are in the fall around mm-hmm. the country, but... So the best thing you can do is identify what that is in your area, your yeah. perennials, and... First, yeah, know what's available. Yeah, and what's know. good, and what you can go back to the well for year in and year out in right. your neighborhood, quote-unquote. Yeah. And then really start familiarizing yourself throughout the year. Always be scouting for yeah. those things. When you're driving to whatever, you're on a road trip for work, yeah. look in the... Notice the flight patterns, notice the whatever pattern, the behavioral patterns of the things you're looking for, or the areas, once you educate yourself on the habitat, which you need to do, right, right for any animal, mm-hmm. like we said on the adventure hunt episode, familiarize yourself with the interaction of that ecology in your quote-unquote neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you can start building that database of knowledge, like we've talked about, to really get into uh, being able to find, like sustained and repeatable success in that neighborhood hunt that you have. Right. You know, and you know, if you're in, when you're getting these permissions to do these things, if there is on private land, oftentimes these small game hunts, you know, Mm -hmm. birds and what have you guys are generally speaking a little less protective of those. For sure. 
over their big game, deer, elk, right. what have you. Rabbits, so, squirrels, depending right. on where you're from right. in you the know, country. So that might be a way in with a guy to show right. that you have respect for his land, his, his or her land, and yeah. that you're willing to put in the effort to maintain a positive relationship with that landowner. You know, and that might open a door to, you know, being able to set a tree stand and, and right. going after a deer or something. So, you know, generally speaking, these small game species, your birds, your small mammals, you know, they're going to be your perennial year in, year out. Didn't draw right. a tag, but at least I can go rabbit hunting type deal. Right. You know, so, you know, don't overlook them, you know, and they're, they're generally speaking, with these smaller species, you're going to have more action Oh, more excitement sure. throughout the year. If, if you're a guy that requires instant gratification, you know, bird hunting, these small game hunting, there's probably more for you there right. rather than big game hunting. There's just, more opportunity to just get in the field and be yeah. out there and do it. Right. Because that's you know, really one of the main things that I find out of it. Mm. I like putting food in the freezer. Right. I like the thrill of that, but I like to just be out there. Right. And that's where the most opportunity for that is. And mm-hmm. I'm probably going to be a wandering idiot for several years and waterfowl in that area. But I'm okay doing that as long as I learn from it every time. Right. You know, right now I'm, I'm stoked. My first hunt of the year this year is going to be doves, Labor Day weekend. Yep. I got a brand new permission, new piece nice. of property, you know, that I know the guy. And, we're, and I'm going to get my son out there for the first time this year. I got got to get him some earmuffs for a size, yep. size five, or a five-year-old child. And I, I'm we'll so talk about it. Yeah, I'll get you I'm so stoked for this. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it, you know, there's, there's a lot of action dove hunting, you know, that, Right. Big, get a lot of doves are one of the most hunted birds in America, aren't there, they? There's more bird, more doves taken than any other game species. That's awesome, and they're delicious. So, and it's right. yeah, like the sign of peace and all that stuff. But shoot one out of the sky and taste it; they're awesome. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that's kind of the points that I'm getting out of this is the neighborhood hunts. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing air quotes when I say neighborhood right. in your general. Your geographical local, region, your, your local, your right, locality, right? You know, your your farm to table, field to table, right? In your own neck of the woods, non destination stuff. That's really where you have the opportunity to really get intimate with the ecology and behavior of the area throughout the seasons, right? To really pattern out mm. ways to be successful year over year, right? And if you, it'll if you put them, not necessarily the majority of your time, but if you consistently focus on putting time in there you can find a way to consistently have good returns out of that focus right you know and and don't get hung up if you're not freezer filling you know right even if you're supplementing your protein intake with just a little bit of this wild game Mm -hmm. you know it's better than nothing well and the variety is out there too for these small game animals because i've heard other people say that like yeah large game is great and it gets great big huge atypical racks on the front of field and stream right. look super duper but america is really a country of small game hunters and has a really a culture of small game hunters because that's really where you can get bang for your buck the variety is there it gets people out in the field weekend warriors desk job mm-hmm. guys you can stay local and get out there on a you can cut out of work at two o'clock on a wednesday Right. Or show up to work at noon on a Thursday right. and get your stuff in. I mean, if that's cool with whoever you work yeah. with. If you're a shift work person, you can get out there at different times and do it. Or you can 
be familiar with your locality and you might be bumping some other guys or making some new friends, but you can really get the days in on the weekends and not have to right. drive to Montana from yeah, wherever you are a, in the country. It's a much smaller time dedication for being successful. And uh, easier time dedication for putting the time in to make sure that you do the homework to be successful. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks for the advice, man. Yeah, I think that was good. <laughs> By the book. <laughs> um there's one other point I was going to make, too. Oh, yeah. Um, and habitat, habitat, habitat. We harp right. on that, right? So yeah. I'm going to plug one more thing that you wrote, and this will be my final thought on it. But uh, back in the day, uh, we somebody posted something about something somewhere, and you wrote a response to it. Uh, what happens when somebody builds a house on a lake? And it went something like, oh, so you're out in the backwoods, I'm thinking like specifically like northern Minnesota Iron Range like uh, or uh, UP of Michigan like deep woods stuff and you stumble across this beautiful lake and there's tons of fish and the ducks land on it and you go wow this place is great so you build a house there and it's up on the bluff and it's not too close and you're not uh, uh, getting too involved in the ecology of the area and you really love it and you tell your friends and somebody else does and Next thing you know, there's word gets around and there are a few cabins. And then all of a sudden, somebody decides that this is a great little vacation spot. And so they put a front yard in their cabin a little bit closer to the water. And the next thing you know, it's a suburb around the lake. And that is a habitat <laughs> destroyer. And as much as, yeah, it's great. And, you know, throwing the fertilizer on your lawn around the lake and putting in riprap on your shoreline is great and uh you're feel like you're out there doing it it's disturbs the local ecology and i'm not saying there isn't a time and place for that and i'm not saying that i haven't don't appreciate that and i'm not saying that there isn't a value in that somehow but there was a time when some of the places i've said were destinations for waterfowl and things like that and now they're destinations for that lake lifestyle right because of that because back in the day post-war like your neighborhood here it was a little three-room cabin up on the hill in some pristine more wilderness-like places and over the years it's turned into uh tourist towns and you know uh suburbs on the lake shore right so it, I want people to enjoy the outdoors. Um, however they like to. However they like to. But, you know, when these types of things come up in your neighborhood, um, be protective over them, you know. And at least give some thought to, to you know, what like you're doing. there's associations in a lot of these places that yeah. have rules to really preserve that kind of thing. Um, like a stairway or a walking path down to the shore is a lot better than... 200 feet of shoreline. Yeah. But, like, I just wanted to float that idea out there because uh, that's one of the things that I think is the best part about championing public lands is really keeping those places like that pristine or uh, wild or and in use by the public for a lot of different ways, but a lot of those are kept deliberately wild for a reason, and if we're not careful about that, then they can go the way of uh, waterfowling and 
Well, Minnesota. Not as it's, not, it's not it's awful. Not, it's not as special as it used to be. It's not as special as it once was, I'm led to believe. So, anyhow, I wanted to get that out there. Sorry to be a bummer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for the advice. And uh, as we always say, do your research. Uh, keep yourself, get yourself involved in any way that you can. There's all sorts of associations that are region-specific or species-specific, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, Quality Deer Management Associations, Wild Turkey Federation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Uh, I think there's like a Mountain Goat Federation. There's uh, state and local uh, uh, wildlife management programs. Do They all do uh, new hunter programs. So make sure to educate yourself and get involved. Put yourself out there. Get involved in some of these programs. You find you spend enough time out there, you're gonna find a passion that you're For gonna be sure. dedicated to giving that little bit extra to. For sure. So, put your time in, do your practice, do your research, get involved, sharpen your teeth, dig deep, and get out there. Cubicles and little flaming piles And we were running